as always, this is another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Plenty to talk about, as we talked about on our last show. It's that time of year, of course, NCAA basketball. Detroit Tigers and baseball getting started once again. I'm very excited about that. Pistons continue to just trade people because it's fun. Um, got a few other miscellaneous uh, crazy things that are going on in the world. The Lions. We can talk about how prophetic or not we were last time we talked about them. And of course, the Lions big day coming up in about a month or so with the draft. Oh, all kinds of good stuff and more. And um, I believe... Today's hashtag is salty. This is what uh, this is what the the uh, going thought is. So we'll see how the show turns out today. So. Starting in the world of college basketball, and real quick, before we get to how everyone's bracket is doing really well uh, in the NCAA tournament, um, let us talk about uh, Oakland University real quick. And we did talk about Transfer Portal last time. I mean, granted, we've talked about it the last few years, ever since it's been here. And one of the names we did talk about was Rashad Williams. And like, hey, we didn't actually expect him to go anywhere because he's already transferred once. Uh, and yet he did, in fact, enter the portal. Yeah, and, you know, we went through all the names, and uh, I think that uh, that was a name that we, uh, we we definitely brought up, Brandon, and uh, I, I think that we both agreed based on um, his uh, uh, increasing play time and just the fact that he was, you know, starting to get it really going. You know, he was really good at the beginning of the year, then he, you know, kind of, you know, kind of went through the paces at the middle, and then all of a sudden he started really picking up, you know, kind of toward the end of the season, including the tournament. And, I mean, personally speaking, I thought based on that, that sort of performance, you would have thought that that would have been a bit of a jumping off pad, uh, you know, trampoline effect to him going, you know, and, and wanting to stay here next year. Uh, and, and so his decision to go, um, I'm not really sure, especially with him already transferring once, I'm not really sure what the strategy is with him leaving. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, the best I could figure is that he felt he was going to be relegated to a mostly bench or more of a bench role next year based on the emergence of Townsend and Parrish and Jalen Moore, uh, maybe even Zion Young, and that if he was going to play more of an ancillary role, why not do it at a bigger program? And he can be you know, a sixth, seventh guy at a power five school, uh, you know, and come in and hit threes. And so, you know, if his spot as a regular starter as a platoon was in jeopardy, and it could very well have been since the other guards are more complete players than he is, I could see him saying, well, why don't I just go to, you know, go to Cincinnati or go to, you know, another power five school and come off the bench anyways. I, and, and maybe my takeaway of that is that if he if if he's going to be a six or seven on this particular team, it's going to going to be rather challenging then to probably be a six or seven in a, a in a power five school. And, and and maybe that more speaks to my general overall problem 
of NCAA basketball as a whole, which is I just find that the talent is slowly deteriorating as time goes along. And maybe maybe you are absolutely spot on in this particular matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the question is, you know, can be wanting to develop his young guys. I think that's as much of the challenge as anything. You know, Williams will be a senior next year. Parrish, Townsend are guys that he's trying to develop. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, I still think Rashad Williams would have started next year, but he could have been in the platoon uh, or, or something like that. And I also think the other thing that is the transfer portal hurting other schools and then wanting to backfill that three-point shooting. Um, you know, and that's why I think he could fit into one of those rotations. It's another school maybe uh, – maybe it's not a good power five school. Maybe it's a lower-level power five school, um, you know, that needs that, that help, that depth. Uh, and, you know, three-point shooting is a premium. So. And, 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 go ahead, Justin. I was just going to say real quick, too, is because of COVID, um, players are getting an extra year of eligibility. So he actually has two years of eligibility left. So, oh, wow. so okay. it, That I did not know. Yeah, so, I mean, he could, you know, maybe with the thought of getting an NBA contract at some point or a Europe, European contract at some point, going to a bigger school, he gets more um, – attention you know he, he's going to get more tv time playing at another school and he's the kind of player who can light it up in a tournament you know uh and he happens to get hot playing in a tournament all of a sudden he's super interesting and, and so maybe that factors into it as well and and i wonder how much that speaks to coach campy in terms of you know to me it, I understand the whole development piece, but it seems like it really just, you know, shoots him in the foot because it seems like when he's working on developing these guys, then they enter the transfer portal. I, I don't, you know, I mean, part, part of me goes, wait a second, uh, go with Rashad Williams because he gives you, you know, maybe your best shot of winning next season if he's really consistent, right? And and you're you're backing him and you're, you're giving him confidence. And I... <sighs> Guys, this transfer portal is just—it's just nuanced. That I have no idea how to attack. And even my commentary about Coach Campy really probably, if, if anything, highlights my lack of understanding of the many depths and and and, and uh, potential strategies that you have with the transfer portal at this point in time. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it's frustrating um, to be a fan of a mid-major school and watch the emergence of the transfer portal. It's really frustrating. Um, for a Power 5 school, for a big-time school, for a Michigan, it's a lot of fun because you're going to be on the, you know, the receiving end, if you will, of high-quality talent um, that can make a big difference, and that's a lot of the reason why Michigan's where they are. Um, but, you know, it's a, it really is a bummer uh, for the mid-major schools to try to navigate this. And you win, you lose more than you win. You know, we won with Jalen Moore, won with Daniel Oladipo. But, you know, also have lost, you know, 12, 13 guys in the last couple of years. It's just, and, you know, Braden Norris is a star. I mean, he was on CBS primetime, you know, hitting three-pointers uh, against Illinois and helping his team move on to the Sweet 16. So, yes. And and it, it was 12 over the last two years and then three more this year. Because uh, Kevin Kangu, who is a senior but has that extra year of eligibility, uh, he's in there, and then uh, Joey Hollifield, who really didn't play at all, um, are are in the portal. So it it really it, it goes to um, 
what a continued joke the NCAA continues to be, um, at least in what it represents itself to be. Um, and again, this is an argument that I've been making for 20 some years. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm just continued to be, I continue to be jaded, but, but, but the bottom line here is what, what are college athletics supposed to be about? Right. And all this is, is a way for the, the, the bigger schools to do better, generate more revenue, um, you know, get more donate donations, you know, bo make boosters happy and F you to the smaller schools uh, in the guise of doing something good for the players. And some, some good comes out of this for the players too. Don't get me wrong, but th this is just another BS um, move or, or no, it's not a BS move. It is a disingenuous attempt by the NCAA to do something nice for the players when in reality they're doing something nice for the bigger programs. Um, and it's just part of the hypocrisy that, that, that is the NCAA, which I do want to dive into. Go ahead, Adam. I, I do wonder, I, I, there's a part of me that wants to go back and maybe look at the, the stacks and I don't know how you would measure it because I, I, I do wonder if Coach Campy was here right now on this show, if he would go through, yes, I've lost a lot on the transfer portal, but I've also taken advantage of the transfer portal in, in, in some ways. And I think that the, the other response to what you said is that with the coaching, with coaches having the, the freedom to leave and then not allowing the players to leave, I think some of this is, is in return of that, you know, once you make that commitment and you do it based on coaches, then the coaches leave, what was the, the recourse? And I, I think if you were to ask players too, and I think in the end, their opinion matters a lot to me in terms of that decision. I'm sure that they're all right with the transfer portal. Oh yeah, I, I'm 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 certain that they are. And but there are other ways of dealing with it. So, for example, let's say the coach leaves. Okay, then the players are are given eligibility waivers as opposed to. Um, you know, making it the, the free-for-all that it is. And the other part that I would say about that as well, I think Campy has done as well as he possibly could have under these circumstances. And I think absolutely the program has gained, just as Brandon had mentioned earlier, no, no question about it. But I'm looking at it from the aspect of the people who make it go, which is the fans. They're the people who spend the money that generate the revenue to – be able to do this stuff. And so if you are a fan of a school like Oakland or, or any, any, you know, horizon summit, whatever else it, I mean, you, you get a different team every year and, and that's a little bit, um, you know, dramatic, but, but I mean, you get a pretty significant difference. Like what, and this has always been one of the things that, and this is just a personal preference. One of the reasons why, I haven't been as excited by college athletics in general is because the roster turnover is pretty, pretty big. And I really like the idea of, of having a core of players. And now of course the pros have moved further and further away from that too, but uh, that's just a personal feeling. And now they, you, you can't even get three years of a group of kids together, maybe two, maybe you're going to have them for two years. And, 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 Maybe Oakland gets lucky with, you know, guys like Townsend and what have you. But I, I, anyway, 
I, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a I think it's a fair point. I mean, it's especially for the mid-major schools. You know, I would say you know it ended up not mattering because the the season last year was shortened anyways. But yep. Cumberland and Norris leaving with Brad Brechting and Xavier Holmes and Trey Maddox Jr. That team should have the team would have run all over the Horizon League in the yes. in the injury in the shortened season. There was not a team that could come close to that amount of talent. You know, Javon Cumberland was man, uh, averaging almost double digits in Cincinnati. Braden Norris is, is running a team that will probably be in the Final Four again. Like, and then you had Xavier Holmes, who's an all-conference player, Brad Brechting. I mean, that team was going to destroy the Horizon League that year. And so, yes. you know, and that, and that it was really a bummer um, that we didn't see them, at least in that regular season, or in the conference tournament, which I think had ended or was close to ending by the time that the pandemic had shut. Because I think – if I recall right, I mean, they almost beat Northern Kentucky that year without those guys. So, uh, you know, I think that's where, that's where Campy probably, that's when he went into the rebuild mode, uh, you know, and tried to reconstruct the team. And this is where we find ourselves now. So I think it was lost opportunities for sure. You know, I have blocked out all that potential. I really <laughs> appreciate you bringing it to my attention, um, Brandon. I really, uh, well, you really know how to start the week in Ottawa. Yeah. And I really. What was, the, what was the hashtag again for the show? Hashtag salty. 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 Yeah. So hashtag, hashtag sister Mary, too, for Brandon Norris, too, maybe. So. That's right. Sister Jean. Sister Jean. I did that last year, too. It's okay. right, Adam. She'll forgive you. She, so, will. she will. She will. No, she will. <laughs> so, but let's staying with the salty and the hypocrisy and all that good stuff. I, I mean, the other fun bit is the uh, the disparity that's come out, you know, between the men's and women's programs. And obviously, the weight room was the big, you know, the one that got the big attention, right? Where the men had a very nice. Really, really nice setup, and the women basically had a couple racks of things, maybe one rack of things, and we're told, and official statements were made that, yeah, we just don't have the room because of COVID, and then they went and took videos of the empty space, uh, and then that problem was rectified, but it wasn't just that. It was also the food. I mean, great, great example there. So what they got... Uh, Food-wise, was some mashed potatoes, some soggy vegetables, and a mystery meat. Uh, they think was Salisbury steak. That was their their main meal the first night. The men's team had a lobster mac and cheese. They had filet. They had au gratin potatoes, grilled asparagus, three different types of dessert. So, again, going back to this idea that college athletics is supposed to be about something more than money. When the NCAA is saying that, you guys are full of it. I mean, what a complete and utter crock. I, I mean, honest to God, it, it, it is so disgusting and, and, and stupid. I mean, the women's tournament, okay, their media contract is $42 million. $42 million. And you're going to tell me you can't at least give them good accommodation or, you know, um, yeah, we'll call it accommodations, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you're saying the money's not there yet. The men generate more revenue. They do. They do. And I'm not saying everything has to be hundred percent exactly the same for both of them, but for the love of God, 
you're you're going to do that. And then then people defending oh, defending it, going, oh yeah, but COVID, well, it didn't affect the other side of the house. It just yeah, it, 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 yeah. I think it's disgusting. I think there's no excuse for it. Um, you know, there's a lot of arguments. You know, and reasonable people can disagree on the disparities between the WNBA and the NBA, but they are professional players, uh, and the revenue generated by the uh, the players in the NBA or WNBA is why those franchises have value. When good players don't play on on teams, or you know, when 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 teams don't have good players, they don't generate much revenue. I will watch Oakland University basketball, even if they're winless, right? And, and a lot of fans will too. And so there's just no excuse. It's not a revenue generating business based off players. And I, I say that knowing there's hypocrisy, but that's not the spirit of the NCAA. The rev- there should be a pot of revenue and should be split equally because the purpose of the NCA as a nonprofit is to support the athletes that play in its games, you know, and here, here, period. And, you know, a lot of this was exposed through TikTok and following Sedona Prince, who is a star player at Oregon. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not good, you know, for the NCA, it's not good when people have access, you know, she has, it had a couple hundred thousand followers probably before all this started. She probably has way more now, including myself. Like, this is, you can't hide this stuff anymore. And sure enough, as I've watched all of her TikToks over the last few days, they're getting pretty good food. They are. Well, but, I guess they found that money. Yeah. Well, and again, when, when you can always find money when you want to clean the mud off your face. So that's uh, amazing how that can happen. That's the and, truth. And, 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 and guys, it's been happening forever. Um, and I, what I don't really understand is, what is the intent by the NCAA? I mean, are they absolutely that ignorant to even even th- even have it put on the list of ideas and for someone to not go, wait, why is this even on the list of ideas, let alone actually follow through and commit to it? And to, to your point, if you're making $42 million, which of course pales in the comparison to what they're making in, in the men, it doesn't really matter because to your point, you know, what you're going around and espousing, if you're not living up to what you're espousing, then, then it, it's absolutely worth nothing. And, and I, what, what I find amazing to me is there hasn't been more pressure by these different athletic administrations of making sure that we don't do these things. And especially when you think about the vein that, uh, of politics, if you will, on college campuses, it's amazing to me that the, the, this sort of situation got completely ignored, fall, fell through the cracks, and, and basically never got any sort of attention to it until now. And it's just, it, it's remarkable. And that's a great point, Adam, is how did anybody think this was okay? And and it is absolutely mind-boggling. And it really, the only reason either is complete ignorance, which maybe it is, or it's about putting money in other people's pockets. And and so where does that $42 million go for that media contract, right? Now, obviously, they've got to rent facilities. They've got to set stuff up. They've got to have hotel rooms. They've got to do... They have expenses. They clearly have expenses. But how many six and seven figure salaries are being paid to NCAA people out of that pool of money as opposed to giving the players what they deserve? And and, and that's, you know, and they want to have that pool of money available so they can say, hey, we made a profit and we paid 
ourselves all these fancy salaries and we did these various things. And I don't know that to be true or not true. And, and, and you know, we can pull their, uh, their 990s and look at uh, things like that. But, I mean, it just, I, again, it gets back to the, the hypocrisy, the just disgustingness of what's supposed to be about athlete, you know, college athletes who don't make money off of this thing. And we, we're, it just... Well, especially when you consider the amount of money that just coming into the NCAA period, right? And yes. you talked about the salaries. There might be some people making decent money, you know, administrating NCAA women's basketball and you know, some of these conferences or whatever, right? But the point Mark, being Mark is em- Mark Emmert's salary for the NCAA is two point seven million. In case anyone looked under, uh, right? As a general overall, right, right, and I, opposed to specific to that forty-two million going into, you know, uh, you know administrators of NCAA women's basketball, regardless, it's a bad picture, it's a bad, it's a bad PR, it's bad everything. And, and I'll reiterate my point. I can't even imagine why anyone would sit there and think that that, that would be remotely acceptable, even just to begin the planning of it and the execution of it. And, and it's, just, yeah. it's, it's just complete total tone deafness. No doubt about that. And I will say that we're going to talk about um, – idiocy and things of that nature a little bit later on when it comes to the NHL, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that uh, in, in a little bit. But first let's talk about what's going on on the court. So the men's bracket has been, uh, um, interesting. Um, I, I, I have to admit, even though this really is not a fair comparison, I have to admit I've chuckled as people have talked about how Oral Roberts University has more wins than uh, Harbaugh over Ohio State. Um, I have to admit I found that funny. Sweet 16, only the second time a 15 seed has ever done that. Um, first Oral Roberts uh, win in a tournament since before I was born, before any of us were born. Um, so uh, pretty – Pretty fantastic, and um, Michigan though has made it. Uh, they got a number one seed, which I, I wanted to talk about and get your guys' thought on. But yeah, um, it's it's been something. You know, in, in terms of the Michigan getting the number one seed, in retrospect, uh, the team itself great, and 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 they've earned it just based on their general overall performance. What is absolutely remarkable to me. Uh, uh, Brandon, note and, and guys, it is I really, really had great expectations of the Big Ten in this conference, and for them to just completely and I, I don't think I'm understating this by any stretch of the means or, or overstating that they have they fell on their faces. The conference fell on their faces completely, um, and um, but 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 when you think about you know how good Michigan has been. You know, I'm, I'm glad that they got the number one seed before, you know, the Big Ten kind of, you could almost argue, got exposed. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough situation because there's, there's nuance in, in all directions here. Uh, but at the end of the day, the result is a result, and that's only what matters in sports is the result. And the result is bad, and the Big Ten looks bad, and it should look bad. But there's a couple things, and one of the things I pointed out on our last show is the grind of the Big Ten tournament and why I thought that was bad. And I said there was nothing better for Michigan than not having to play another game because Ohio State and Illinois in that title game played 
you know, at a final four level and try to, you know, take each other out. And they both looked exhausted in the NCAA tournament. Ohio State looked absolutely exhausted against Oral Roberts, and Oral Roberts played the game of their lives um, and beat them and deserved to beat them. Um, but like, Ohio State looked gassed. Illinois looked gassed. Um, you know, Iowa, I have always thought, was fraudulent. Um, you know, they played a team that just played better offense that day, and Iowa can't defend. So there, there they go. Um, but I think the grind of the Big Ten, I think that was a big part of it. And then I think the other thing was the lack of that two-month snapshot when you're playing the out-of-conference games. I, you, you learn so much there, you know. And I'm not trying to excuse Illinois' performance against Loyola, but Loyola-Chicago should have been like a three or four seed. And should have Illinois still won that game? Yeah, they should have because they were a one or two seed. But Loyola-Chicago was not an eight seed. Like, they are, they're a very, very good basketball team. And they only have the chance to play one power five school, and they lost that game, which is to Wisconsin. Um, and so there was just no – there was no way of – you know, all you're left to go with is how good is the Missouri Valley Conference in the case of Loyola. And it's not that great. So they got an eight seed. But they're like they're, – they're a very, very good basketball team, right? So I think – um, there was a lot of misseeding going on, and there just really wasn't much the NCAA could do about it because you just didn't know. Um, and so it was tough. And then they got some bad breaks too, right? Rutgers should have beat Houston. They they fell apart in that game. You know, Wisconsin ran into Baylor. What are you going to do, right? You know, yeah. Maryland, Maryland beat UConn, and then they ran into a monster. They ran into Alabama, right? So, you know. And then, of course, there was Michigan State. It's, uh, what a treat. <laughs> what a treat. Remarkable, remarkable for them right. to be up double digits on a UCLA team that wasn't considered very good, and then for them to not only be, you know, you know, then all of a sudden lose the game, but then the, almost this open freeway to do something. I mean, you know, you really kind of consider that, you know, any other Big Ten team, whether it be you know, Illinois or Ohio State would have been basically in that same similar bracket that they would have done, you know, as good as anyone, right? So I, I you know, and, and I think, Brandon, you make a great point. You know, I think the thing with the NCAAs that people, you, you really appreciate, but you don't really take into consideration every year until after the fact is just these, these little roadblocks to get put in the way. And especially you know, we've been talking about college athletics, young, you know, young men, young women involved in this. Um, there, there, there's just these things that, that can happen, almost spontaneous combustion. And uh, you, you, you really outline, I thought, you know, a, a, a good number of those examples. And I think in a, in a year like this year with COVID and whatever, you, you find out that a UCLA is going to go up against a, a very, very good Alabama team. Well, it's not, but, but, certainly do look like they have the opportunity of getting to the final eight as well. Right. So I, I, um, for sure. And, I no, and, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen this weekend. I, it's, uh, you know, you got to assume that Gonzaga will continue to roll through. You got to assume that Baylor will continue to roll through aside from that. Couldn't tell you. Don't know. 
You know, and I mean, if, 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 if as you look at it, right, I mean, uh, um, you know, either, uh, you know, we're recording this on a Saturday morning, we're looking, I mean, we got a, a, a Oregon State versus Loyola Chicago uh, uh, number eight matchup, and we already talked about that should have been much better, but that that's not, I mean, you're going to watch probably Loyola Chicago because it's kind of a quote-unquote, you know, Cinderella story in some people's minds. You move on to a Villanova versus Baylor. Baylor's very good, and I mean, I though Villanova that that's a season coaching staff, and 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 they they they're that's the type of team that could give Baylor a lot of uh, a lot of fits. Uh, you got Oral Roberts against Arkansas. Uh, you would think that Arkansas, with a full week of rest, uh, or not full week, but but a good number of days of rest, and and well, plenty of tape to look at Oral Roberts. That should be a pretty you know battle. But again, we've made that assumption in the first week, and then we got Syracuse. Coming out of nowhere, coming out of absolute nowhere, going up that's against a team that you would think Akeem Olajuwon was back on the team and right, uh, in the team. Then you move on to tomorrow. Uh, you, when you think about Creighton and Gonzaga, Creighton has just been stingy, and they've been very – I mean, so uh, – and there's been a lot of people questioning Gonzaga this season. I mean, as good as they've been, but I think when you listen to real, real good college basketball people, they tell you this is not any Gonzaga team. This is a very, very good Gonzaga team. Um, of course, you got UCLA and Alabama. That means, you know, so between Gonzaga, Creighton, UCLA, Alabama – um, you expect Gonzaga to go to the Final Four, but we'll have to see. Uh, and of course, the last uh, region, Oregon and USC, uh, six, uh, seven and six, uh, respectively. So a Pac-10 matchup for the state going against Michigan. Uh, definitely seems to be the strongest region out of the four. Um, it seems like something, though, from my uh, from my takeaway, guys, when I'm looking at it. I really do. I mean, this seems to be setting up very well for Michigan, just especially now that they've had uh, was five five days of rest, uh, and they won't play till tomorrow, so six days, uh, which is a team that definitely needs it, definitely seems to react very well with rest. Uh, and uh, um, against all these teams, um, Pac-10, I always kind of question how good the Pac-10 is. Uh, and, of course, Florida State, I question that as well. ACC was very, very down this year, so uh, uh, it'll be it's, very it's, interesting. It's You know, just going back to Michigan, I think you summarized the other ones well. You know, I don't know what to expect from this grouping of four. I mean, Oregon and USC have looked dominant, but I don't know if those are flashes and if that goes away, right? You know, if, if Oregon doesn't play like the way they played against Iowa, you know, they could lose by 30. I mean – and, you know, USC has some NBA caliber talent. Evan Mobley, uh, who in most mock drafts is actually going to the Pistons, is a very good player. Um, but it's hard to say. I just don't, I don't know what to expect. My gut is that Michigan makes it to the Elite Eight and that they grind out Florida State uh, tomorrow tomorrow night. Um, it just, it's kind of a grinded out game. A team like LSU was a very scary matchup for them. Uh, and, and Oregon is very similar to LSU. Um, and so that, that would be a scary matchup for them if they get Oregon uh, in the Elite Eight. Uh, but, they, but they came back and they just they, they tired out LSU and they got through. And so uh, props to Howard and, and props to the, some of the guys that stepped up on Michigan. But I don't know. I mean, they could lose tomorrow night. I mean, Florida State can beat good teams, you know. So it's, uh, it's going to be dicey. Um, I would say, Adam, you called out uh, one of the games that I think will be the most interesting, which is Villanova-Baylor. Villanova is very cagey. Uh, that's going to be interesting. For sure. So big weekend of college basketball, and we'll see what happens. And, I mean, and, and, 
and very bizarre to the whole setup where these games usually would be Thursday, Friday, and then, and then Monday, Tuesday. And I have to tell you, it, it's been a little tough to adjust based on even with not having anything last year. Um, I, 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 Highly I, and, irritating. Okay, well, I, and again, I, the I, kindest I, thing I could, I could say about this. Okay, schedule. okay. Why, why is it highly irritating? Asking because, truthfully. I, I mean, one, you know, there's, there's, you know, 40 years of precedent on scheduling, um, you know, and, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not really thinking about, there's going to be two, there's going to be two games on Tuesday night. So which one of which is going to start at nine ten, nine forty. Yeah. I'm not going to watch that game. I'll stay up for the national championship game, which is traditionally played on a Monday. I'll stay up and watch that game, but you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating stuff. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I took that Thursday off and ended up just getting the play-in game. It started in the late afternoon. I'm like, well, this was a waste of a day off. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So I've been really, really um, curious. So when we talked just before starting the show today, Brandon was was mentioned a Kilbadoo. And um, so as we wander into the Tigers, we got baseball starting this week. I'm super excited to be going to opening day. Um, okay, good. I, I, yes, I am super excited. Um, interestingly, I got a call from the Detroit Tigers box office yesterday saying if I needed help with anything for opening day to please call them. I'm not sure how to take that, but I mean, it's nice. It's a nice customer service seat gesture, but like. Free food? Free yeah, I was going to say, like. Like, to win a prize, maybe, in okay. one of their stupid little games that we haven't won any prizes in for 15 years. Remember Could be back, that. Remember, remember back in George, George W. Bush's first term when we weren't winning any prizes? I do. <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. Oh, we've won absolutely nothing since the first Bush administration. That's true. Anyway, um, good, good I was, Jenny, you're not better. That's the good news. It right? is good news. <laughs> can, can I get a twenty four ninety nine Little Caesars pizza? Can I get six, six slices of pizza where the cheese is even scraped off the top and all the sauce went to the goddamn left side of the thing? Can I get that, please? <laughs> oh, goodness. <Whew>. Anyway. <laughs> Um, you had mentioned Akil Badu, and then you went kind of sideways from there. And I was really curious what what you were trying to say. So please take it away. I, I wasn't. I mean, I just I'm kind of more just baffled than anything. I mean, he's had an amazing spring, right? I mean, his spring yes. numbers are ridiculous. I they mean, are he's hitting like three twenty, great power numbers. I mean, he's just been he's been uh, it's been a flash of, of kind of greatness here. I just was kind of. Perplexed. I mean, I know he's a Rule Five guy, but like, you know, we hired in. You know, we went to the bargain bin for Mazzara and for Grossman. Uh, you know, and it feels like Victor Reyes, who was the only bright spot on the team in that outfield last year, because Jones can't stay healthy, is getting pushed out. And I'm just like, great. Let's get you know, 55 year old Robbie Grossman out there so he can hit you know, 212. You know, let's let's have Nomar Mazzara strike out 140 times next year rather than the 26-year-old guy that we're trying to move up into our system. And now they're talking about moving him down. And it, 
you know, and Akil Badu, I, I hope, I mean, if he does half of what he's doing now, like, well, yeah, put him in the field because at least he's 22. But, you know, you go look a guy up and wondering why one of your star, you know, one of your promising young guys getting pushed out of your outfield. And I'm looking at golf league stats, you know, and not very good golf league stats. Like, the guy's like a 240 hitter in bad baseball leagues. Like, huh? Help but me he, understand, you know? We just sent Yo Jimenez back to Mars. Like, are we giving up on him? Like, I don't know. <laughs> You but, tell but me, AJ, what's going on, man? Well, no, and I think I think you bring up a great, great point. I think that is an AJ Hinch thing where he is wanting to make sure that he is squeezing 110% out of everyone. And a large part of that is having to create competition at all, all positions on the field. Now, to your point, I, I think the whole Rule 5 thing is – really really frustrating because again and it's, it's strange that it's going to squeeze out of victor reyes who if i recall right he was a a, a, a rule five guy yes. and then and then i mean he went through a lot of growing pains that that first year but they yes. kept on pulling him in and garden hire was a great guy to to be the manager with a rule five guy like victor reyes um, but I, I think everything has to do with th- that exact point. I think this is very much an A.J. Hinch thing that we, we will have a choice, either to accept it or not accept it. And I think it's uh, – and, and, yeah, I'm, I'm not thrilled about, a, you know, a, a guy that doesn't seem to have much of a history of it. But I, 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 can, uh, I think I can understand why it's happening, Justin. Well, to to an extent, I, I 100% agree with that. And I and obviously, when they took Badu, that was in December. They didn't know they were going to get Mazzara for um, 1.75. Um, and so, I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the Grossman signing, no matter what. Um, might might be fine. Might be fine. I'm not like saying it's the worst thing ever. Um, but it does make for that really crowded outfield situation. And I. One, I am also very disappointed if Reyes gets sent down. He's got an option, so they can do it. But for the love of God, he needs to be on the major league roster. And really, for me, this goes back to, and I don't remember if I said this, because Rule 5 draft was, you know, it was usually in December, and I don't know if we did a show right around it. But one of my takeaways was why on earth, because we had a very high pick again, obviously, um, why on earth did we take a guy who hadn't played in anything higher than advanced day ball? Um, because you know, you have to keep him on your roster. Uh, like look at Reyes. He hadn't broken double a and it showed. And um, so, and granted 2020 bad year, right? Like he didn't get a chance to play anywhere. So you don't even have any data. Now he may have grown. He may have improved. I, I, I'll agree with that too, but, why on earth, when you when you have that pick, why on earth are you taking a guy who hasn't played above advanced A? And clearly, he's got talent. I don't think anybody's disputing that at all. But, I mean, you know, to counter Brandon's point, he did hit 357 in the Appalachian League, so there, he's got that going for him. But, I mean... The bottom line is, yeah. And those those pitchers up in the mountains, man. Get <laughs> that banjo music playing. That's intimidating. So yeah, you can't you can't have shoes through that league. You have to do barefoot play. 
<laughs> I, so, I, I made a choice. I'm sorry. I probably made a bad choice, but go ahead. I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. So hashtag salty. So anyway, um, and 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 so it leaves us with obviously a kid who's raking here in the spring, but the quality of his competition. I did bring this up on last show because they track this. The quality of pitching that he's faced is somewhere between double A AA and triple A. So that's the quality. And I bet you this season he would be really good in double or triple A. I bet you any money that he might be an all-star, might be a triple A all-star. But are we going to carry him on a roster pushing out another young guy that, I mean, he's 26, Reyes is. He, he needs to be on the major league roster now. Um, and, and then, or are we carrying an extra outfielder Meaning the only backup infielder we're carrying is either, um, well, it's it's either Goodrum or, or um, Castro, who who are utility players, and it just it it so greatly reduces the team's ability to to to, to do the other thing that Hinch wants to do, which is be able to move players all over the field whenever he wants to. So so. With, with a guy like Agent Hinch, I'm expecting both Castro and um, Goodrin to be on the team because they can play anywhere on the field. But then they're going to have to put Badu over in the corner, and he's also not going to play. So I, I don't know. I, I just – it was baffling to me at the time, and now it's like, what what on earth, right? And it's not quite the same situation. It's it, it, Badu's not the the it's it's the op, the inverse, but kind of a similar situation with Jimenez. Like, yeah, Jimenez looked terrible last year. He looked absolutely awful. I totally get it. But he's 26 years old. And why are you digging up the corpse of Derek Holland? You know, 34 years old to go in the bullpen. Why? What is the point? Oh, and by the way, he's actually like been blatantly racist publicly. Uh, as recent as 2019 with respect to Asian American people. So that's great too. You know, especially coming from San Francisco, fantastic guy. But like, why? What What are you trying to achieve with Derek Holland in our bullpen? Like, I don't understand. We, we trying to get to 77 wins instead of 72? Rather than letting Jimenez try to work out whatever his problems are? Like, why? You know what I- He's 22. I mean, if he's going to turn into the next- Phenom, and we want to take a waiver on him at 22 years old. Well, then go right ahead. He's optioned all the heck, right? Like, get whatever you want. But Derek Holland in the bullpen? 34? What? Doesn't make any sense. You know, and the sort of decision is doesn't really give me the feel that this is uh, maybe a first week of the season trade that may come up or something like that. I'm I'm not really sure what what that trade would be, but I I mean because right now you know we've we've obviously covered for the last ten minutes that there's a a, a roster challenge uh, as we head into the 2021 campaign, and I'm 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 just trying to think if 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 there's some sort of of um, roster decision, roster trade that will be happening, uh, and 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 again, I kind of go back to you know the original, my original response is, I'm trying to figure out what AJ Hinge is trying to accomplish here because I, you know, as much as we want to, I I know El Avila, and I I think I can point toward front office decisions being 
Al Avila up until A.J. Hinge walked in the door. When A.J. Hinge walked in the door, I think there was a commitment by the organization, by Chris Hill, to say, not only are you, A.J., going to be our manager, but you are going to also be the architect, a co-architect on this particular roster. And I'm trying to figure out what the mission of A.J. Hinge with some of these decisions. Oh, and could it be just simply, hey, we weren't going to contend this season, and I'm just going to do what I got. You know, we're, we're just going to try a, a couple of things in preparation of making more long-term roster decisions after the season. I, I don't know. But, but see, that's, that's the thing is these moves don't indicate that. And, Agreed. And, and one direction or the other, load up, <laughs> load up to try to win more I, games and I, put I, Collin, the corpse of Derek Holland in your bullpen or – Keep Jimenez out there. Keep Reyes out there. Don't go get Robbie Grossman and you know animate him or whatever it's going to take to get him to run around the outfield. <laughs> so, um, so I have a couple. Th- There's so much going on there that, that it's taking me a little while to sort it all out. But um, I, I have a couple thoughts. Um, one is is Avila finally caving to a certain level of pressure of fielding a better team also because bear in mind a lot of people have been upset that the Tigers have been in a rebuilding mode really since the end of 2017 so and the team keeps saying hey we're going to be good someday we're going to be good someday 21 22 you know 22 has been kind of the year that's been thrown out there a number of times and does he need to continue to show that progress because I'm sure with the pandemic season ticket sales are way down. They're going to be losing money again this year. Um, So I do wonder how much that plays into this. Um, And then the other piece of it is what I've found confusing because I, I don't disagree that Hinch has a bigger say in what's going on than say garden hire did or what have you. But um, is they've gone out and gotten not good defensive players. And I always thought that was not the way Hinch ran the show. And maybe I'm wrong, but Grossman, to your point, to be able to cover left field will need to be riding a horse. Um, you know, if Nunez wins the first base job, you're talking about a guy who, you know, unless the ball magically finds his glove is probably not going to make a lot of plays at first base. Um, And even Hinch said our best defensive first baseman is Miguel Cabrera. So Miguel Cabrera with a really bad knee is a better first baseman than the other people they have, you know, unless you move Candelaria over there, whatever. But the point of the matter is it, this has been head scratching for me. Well, Adam, can I ask Adam a question? Adam, of course. When you hear Grayson Grenier, uh, Akil Badu, and Derek Holland, you think playoff contender, right? I, you know, um, I think I have, absolutely. Right? absolutely. You feel like, I'm going to get I've... the doubters off my back <laughs> with Derek Holland, Grayson Grenier, and Akil Badu. That's I'm getting, what I'm, uh, I'm waiting for the Amazon truck to drop off the Grenier jersey this afternoon. So I'll be ready for opening day. Um, I mean, I granted, if we need someone to get stuff off shelves, you know, Grayson Grenier is the guy, right? Especially with Reyes 
you know, his reduced role because he had some size, you know, size on him too. Let, so let me let me say this: what and, you know, I've been kind of doing some fantasy baseball reading and whatever. And the one thing, like you were thinking like, Grenier, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, first round. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much. Like I'm curious, two years from now, when we're sitting here talking about this team, how many former Houston Astros are going to be on this roster? You know, and when we're talking about like, you know, is Carlos Beltran available? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, I'm but sorry. I'm trying to like, like for example, uh, Carlos Correa is going to be a free agent this year after the season, and I, you know, guys, twenty six, twenty seven, and you know, and and that would be just about the time you're ready to start spending money, you know, on, on a, on a good free agent. Granted, he has a bit of an injury history and whatever. So you'd have to really kind of measure that out, but you understand where I'm going. I'm, I, that, that's where I, I, I just feel like we're, we're looking at this all in very present time. Even when I look and I see that, you know, Fulmer, Michael Fulmer, after a, a full year of recovery is going to the bullpen, according to what I'm, I'm, I'm reading. And I, you know, again, I, I okay, fine, AJ, what, what, or, or, and is AJ Hinch out outdoing AJ Hinch at this point? I I, I don't know. I, and and again, you add in the Alavila part of the recipe, and I just I, I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see how this all shakes out. Yeah, yeah, it will be very interesting. And I'm, um, I'm seeing some stuff online right now that suggest not nothing official, but it's suggesting that Reyes will make the opening day roster and they'll carry five. Okay. Reyes and Badu will make the roster. It looks like Nunez, uh, the two, uh, just some stuff on Twitter. It looks like Nunez will not make the opening day roster. Mm, interesting. Which, which lends to your point about what, well, what do they do with Candelario and Cabrera? Right. Yeah, like who plays for space every day, you know? Because um, Goodrum, I guess. But it just leaves so little flexibility on the infield because they don't want Cabrera on the infield more than once or twice a week, which for the love of God, no, you don't. Um, at least if you want him to potentially be able to hit, which is what you want him for. Um, it just, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting, and we'll see what happens. One, one question, and I don't remember, was, was it C.J. Crone's decision to leave the Tigers organization, or was it more the Tigers' decision to go? Because I, I, I'm trying to figure out how he did not – I, that, that to me seemed like a really good. Uh, again, they haven't listened to me on anything this year. I mean, I, I wanted Percello. I, I would have loved to have Chrome back. Um, th- those are, I, I guess, uh, I, just very frustrating. Just, just because I think there's very obvious personnel decisions that could have been made and simply weren't made. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't CJ know. Chrome's going to hit ball very far in college. Oh, lots of time if healthy. If healthy. And, and that's what I wonder is if they decided, and I never read anything about that, but he didn't get anything more than a minor league deal. Um, not saying he's not going to make the team, but um, yeah, I didn't read anything about him in terms of if it was his call, Tiger's call, what have you. So with that in mind, like I said, opening day next week, we're back underway. We're going to see some, real live, mostly real live baseball. I mean, they're still doing some of the completely and utterly asinine things like seven inning double headers and which fine, whatever, but the, the runner on second, I mean, the first time that happens, the first time I'm at a game, someone's going to have we'll to boo. stop me from throwing things onto the field. We'll boo. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Because that's just so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. I mean, words cannot describe the stupidity. You'll, you'll want to get a pom-pom, though, before you boot. Just make bring some attention to yourself. So. I will stab someone with a pom-pom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's be clear. Moving along. <laughs> well, yeah, I think a pom-pom would hang up enough in the air and throw it on the field that Grossman could probably track it down. <laughs> yeah, but but think about the aerodynamics of it because it's out of balance. Yeah, it would be tough to follow, right? It would, it would, and so then you know it would cause a lot of change in direction. And so, like if it if it was just going one direction, I, I think he could. I really do think he could, but because he would have to change direction. Well, now we got Cabrera playing first base, so we should be fine. <laughs> right. I mean, that does give us a lot of coverage. A lot, lot of speed there. Yes. Uh, yeah. Keep him good and healthy. Yeah, let's just put him out there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just okay. make sure you give him his life alert when he was out there. <laughs> what if he's fallen and he can't get up? He needs the life alert. Okay. That's why we have Grayson Grenier to go pick him up. And like Hodor, carry him around the field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Griner, by the way. Just, just for the record, I get. I'm just saying. Anyway, just like you, I think it's Matt, called Jake Rogers. I think is how it's uh, Matthew Boyd, not Matt Boyd. I, I did hear that. Mm-hmm. I did hear that's a thing now. So Matthew and Shelby. Yeah. So Matthew Boyd is the opening day starter, which I think makes the most sense. Um, it is interesting to note that uh, both Scooble and Mize made the the uh, roster. Uh, Julio Terran um, also did, and uh, he might be a counterpoint to the other head scratchers. Um, he looked great in the spring. He had one bad year last year, which so did many of us. Um, so I, I think that was actually a. I was happy when they made that well, signing. Well, but I think it's the difference in philosophy, right? Like loading up on arena and 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 tehran is to protect your arms yes not to block them right like right. you know loading up the outfield the way they had and making that confusing and then and and then you know the the issue with keeping badu or, or castro or whatever and not having unions on the roster it doesn't protect Cabrera. it doesn't get your younger position players playing time it's the, it's the inverse right you want to get your young position players at bats that's what they need in order to make it the leap yeah. Whereas you don't want to throw your young guys in the rotation when they're not ready. They can hurt their arms. They can lose their confidence. Like, I'm totally fine with loading up on arms in the starting rotation, you know? Mm-hmm. With the exception of the animated corpse of Derek Holland. But he's well, in the grant, bullpen. Yeah, granted, he's not in the rotation, but yeah. And you've already got other long relievers in the bullpen. Right. Like, well, he, Especially he, with Fulmer there now, even more so. Right. I was looking at the bullpen breakdown yesterday, and yeah, a, a good young arm is going to end up in the minor leagues because of it. And it's it does. Yeah. It, has they said that officially? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right before oh. the show, he was sent down. I did not see that. Okay. I was wondering if it was going to be him or Alexander. So, um, yeah. Yikes. Anyway, um, we'll have lots to talk about. And um, we'll see what happens. <sighs> oh, wow, that was kind of exhausting. Um, let's talk about the 
uh, Pistons real quick. Oh, I'm um, gonna go to Lions. I'm like, let's strong transition. <laughs> Would you like to go to the Lions? I mean, who wouldn't? Okay, then <laughs> let's let's talk about the Lions. Let's talk about um, free agency mavens that they are. Let Let me just open with this. I saw an article. I don't remember which Detroit paper it was. I don't much care anymore. Um, but I uh, saw an article saying uh, now that the Lions have Jared Goff, they have a quarterback who knows how to win. And they finally have a quarterback who knows how to win. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What? What planet? What planet are these people on? And, you know, I, I will bring up, um, you know, Jane Briggs-Bunting, who passed away uh, a few days ago, just an absolute icon of journalism, um, one of the most formidable people I ever met. Um, I mean, she terrified everyone who knew her. At the same time, she was incredibly helpful and encouraging and just an unending advocate for students. Um, but I, I learned a lot from her in the brief time that I, I got to know her. And and I, I look at the way journalism is these days, and I think about the lessons she taught, and I just think, wow, are we so far away from what people like her, Neil Shine, and those folks who I was so fortunate to get just small slivers of their time. Um, uh, I, I mean... They, uh, whew, the current state of affairs is, is something else. And when you have just horse manure takes like that, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make anything any better. Sorry for the mini rant. Um, let, let us talk about the Lions as the paragon of free agency. Well, Adam, I'd like to, I'm curious your take on the Kenny Galladay uh, debacle. I, I kind of chuckled because if you remember, I don't know, it was last season, I, I said the Lions, if they were smart, would at, at worst franchise the guy, right? And it, it, But absolutely do not offer him a long-term contract. And, of course, you know, he went from team to team, and it's kind of like he was calling teams, you know, do you want me? So then he would go visit him. I mean, and, and I'm like, wow, this is really pathetic. And I think two, two things go on. One, the injury, obviously, you know, the, uh, the injury last season obviously did not help. But then the rumor got around that he basically gave up on the team, which, by the way, it basically it's the unwritten code in the NFL. doesn't matter what franchise you're at, you don't give up on the team. So noticeable that other people are talking about it. And it seemed like the league knew that Kenny Galladay gave up even on the line. Ken, regardless of who coach or whatever, still viewed as very bad. Absolutely. And then, and then you then go to the Giants, who I just think Giants just love spending money. And it just seems, and now with Daniel Jones. Now, here, here's the challenge, though, and I think th this is where I think Kenny Galladay got lucky, is that with Daniel Jones, he is going to be the, the, the throwing and, 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 and the type of, of offense that will be in is actually one of the very few offenses where Kenny Galladay will actually be all right. Because Daniel Jones will throw the ball up for Kenny Galladay to, to catch. Now, mind you, I don't think it's very good for Kenny Galladay's career that he's going to be in that because I think he's going to get hit, you know, pretty good, especially against some of those NFC East, uh, you know, uh, secondary players. 
Um, but, you know, Kenny Galladay, you know, audio, and he was not a fit for the Lions because Jared Goff, unlike Max Stafford, actually throws to a receiver, or at least the intent is thrown to the receiver on the run. And he might have saved Kenny Galladay's career, but the problem is Kenny Galladay doesn't run very fast. So again, it was, and this is going to be, by the way, my takeaway, this is going to be a number one, the a number one top priority on this offense speed. And that was not Kenny Galladay for the, for, for the Lions. Yeah, I think, and I think I, I don't disagree with your take and, you know, I'm not trying to suggest that Kenny Galladay, you know, he, he is a specialized wide receiver. He can be very dominant in the right off. I think the Giants are one of the handful of teams where he could do that. But to me, it's just bad asset management. Um, you know, they just should have franchise tagged him. I think it was just – that's just bad asset management. I mean, regardless of some of his deficiencies, he's on this team this year. And, you know, especially losing Marvin Jones, like Tyrell Williams and Rashad Perriman, like that's not a wide receiving core. Like they're in trouble. They're in, they're in real trouble. You got Jared Goff, who you're going to try to get a good start to keep his confidence high, which has been his challenge for his career. And you're giving him Terrell Williams and Rashad Perriman. I mean, neither one of those guys was good as Kenny Galladay. So, so I think a large part of that, though, Brandon, and I, this is where I would not defending that, but but the when I'm looking at this wide receiver group as of now, I'm waiting for you know, us to look at it again in June, because one, you could tell with the wide receivers, I mean, the wide receivers were absolutely a commodity this year, right? And that was one of the big problems that, that Kenny Galladay had. Um, I think the other thing uh, uh, right now is that, you know, when you're looking, and the reason that they're a big commodity is because of the draft. And I'm, I'm very, that's where it'll be interesting to see what the lines do. I think right now, when you look at the, the, the decisions that they're making, they're very much telegraphing, at least to me, that for sure they're going to be picking a wide receiver pretty high, whether it be first round or second round, you know, and, and, and I think, and I think the other thing they're going to do is probably June 1st when some of the free agent cuts happen, you know, that, that post June 1st date deadline, I bet you they go out and they try to find someone else as well at, at that point. Um, and no, are they going to be good? And oh, by the way, the thing, and I don't want to get into it. We'll get more into it the next show when we probably talk about the draft uh, and the, the <laughs> NFL draft first round. And it, it, and I say that they're going to pick a wide receiver, but technically they very much could be setting up to pick a tight end in, in Pitts, which he's really, in a lot of ways, a wide receiver. But but that that's I would not be surprised if you you know. Completely different regime change, but still the same. Uh, I, so beware, beware. Yeah. So um, I, I'll tell you the one signing I did really like the Lions, and I think it's probably it's almost better than, except maybe for Marvin Jones, what the previous regime did, and that was Jamel Williams. I think the money that they signed him for, uh, and I think Jamel Williams is, you know, the thing that the last regime had a problem with was they would sign these free agents that were almost flyers. You you didn't quite know and, and you were hoping that they would, would follow through. Jamel Williams is a guy, and I'm not telling you he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to say he's going to be all pro or whatever. You know exactly what you get with Jamel Williams. 
and he's going to deliver exactly what they've tried to do with uh, uh, LeGarrette Blunt and, and a few of these big guys. He's going to be actually that guy in the third one. You know he's going to get the ball. You know he's going to you know be given the ball, and you know you, he's going to deliver more often than not. That was what they wanted with Adrian Peterson last year. Adrian Peterson was too old to be able to deliver that. He's going to fill that role, and he's going to be able to convert third downs a lot more, second and third down shorts a lot more than what the Lions have done in, in previous seasons. So. Yep, agreed on Jamal Williams. I think it's a it's a really solid signing. I just, you know, uh, I think to me what was so critical for Goff was being able to get off to a good start with the Lions. And I, I know they're in a rebuilding anyways. I know it's going to be top sledding. Um, but yeah, and, and I'll, I'll withhold finally until after those cuts, which I think is a good point, but it's, it's not shaping up well for him. I mean, he needs some real weapons out there and he's not getting them. And I'm not suggesting they should have brought back Jones, but me, the, the Galladay thing was just a, you know, he still led the league in touchdowns one year. He's had two, a thousand yard seasons. Those guys aren't easy to find. I'll be curious uh, as well about golf because I, I mean, I, I, um, I again, I think this team is absolutely going to uh, prioritize speed above anything else, um, which is very much, you know, the the type of caliber of receiver they had in uh, with with the Rams. I'll be very because I, I because in, in in on the other side, I'm curious about how Stafford will play with the Cooks uh, of the world and uh, the Cooper Cups and and whatever who are not very big targets. Uh, and you see this offense of the Lions kind of shutting up a little bit. And, and, you know, I'm not saying any of these guys are Cooper Cup or Brandon Cook, but at the same time, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm curious based on that seems to be the general direction that they're going. That's all. So. Ah, the Lions. Nothing can get people quite as, uh, quite as entertained and energized as the Lions. Well, t- the disaster that is their defense on the next show. Uh, and just yeah. look, there was a major, I mean, to me, uh, with the trades that happened yesterday and the restructuring of Goff's contract, there very much appears to be a, uh, a commitment, if you will, to Goff at this point. Some of it by default that, that they're basically not going to be, and, to. you know, be able to get one of these, you know, four quarterbacks, um, you know, uh, and, and maybe – you know, five, it'll be, guys, I'm going to be very interested. The one name I'm very interested with, if we get closer to the draft, and we'll get in more into it, Matt Jones. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious about, uh, I think the X is going to be one of the, the, the great divides in the NFL about some teams, absolutely not, no way Jose, and other teams think that he, there's talk, I think, among league people, he might be the best, he might end up being the best quarterback in five years out of this draft, so. So let uh, let's let me ask this real quick. Um, with the golf restructuring, I didn't entirely understand it. It definitely freed up a lot of cap space for this season, but then it it loaded it up. It's going to be over thirty million dollar hits like the next three years. How much did the Lions really gain by opening up that cap space this year? I think everything had to do with one, the expectation that the cap would go up quite a bit the next couple of years. One okay. with, you know, more, you know, I think the expectation you're going to have people in the stands this year it should be full stadiums or pretty darn close, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and I think the other thing too is that when you're looking at the TV contract and how much, you know, basically you're doubling the the amount of TV revenue that's coming in. 
with the new TV contracts that are coming in, probably maybe even beyond double. Um, that's where I think, you know, they, they feel, and I think every other NFL team feels at this point. And when you look at a lot of the contracts that, the, and especially too, with the Lions, they're sending a lot of guys to one-year contracts. Uh, so um, I, I think, again, they're definitely maneuvering in the idea. And I think it really says something out loud too, is that I am going to guess, I'm going to guess with all the one-year contract and that big contract, you know, with the numbers that you're seeing with golf, you're going to see, there's an expectation, I think, by Campbell uh, um, and, and team is that they're going to go ahead and do a lot of trading down or trying to create a lot of draft picks out of their draft capital um, to be able to then go ahead and really build this team in the draft. Gotcha. So uh, I think... Well, last couple of things to talk about. I was just going to say about uh, the Pistons. Trey Weaver continues to wheel and deal. So I wanted to touch on that real quick. And then the Masters. Uh, you know, with DeLon Wright, he got traded. I think that was the only trade that happened since our last show, if I'm not mistaken. Um, again, just another piece to, with Joseph coming in. I think, again, it's just a matter of just interchanging parts. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, Weaver will continue to do it. And, and you know what? It's turned out pretty well. Cause, I mean, this team is, is much changing as you've gone through, Brandon. They've done a really good job of being competitive. I mean, even against a, in my mind, yeah, coming from the West Coast, Brooklyn next last night, uh, um, you know, uh, but in, 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 the, in the whole scheme of things, they were very competitive throughout the night against a team that has really played good basketball in the next and they will just – and, yeah, they're losing, and that's fine because that gives them a really good draft pick. You alluded to a player earlier, um, and but but I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with just continuing to interchange the parks. I agree. I think the DeLon Wright move is exactly how you want it. You get the second-round pick to help, you know, backfill, um, you know, the, the loss of those. You cut six points in cap space. Corey Joseph is approximate to DeLon Wright. Move on. Keep, keep it going. I mean, he's – I trust uh, what Weaver's doing right now, and he's got some big decisions to make, you know, next year in particular uh, in the draft and with, with some of these other roster moves. But no reason, uh, you know, not to not to confidence in what he's doing because uh, he, he just hasn't made a, a real gaffe right now. He's just making solid incremental moves to get the team better. Yep. So last uh, bit is um... – the Masters, uh, just curious as to what you guys are thinking on that front. I just think this is completely, totally wide open. Um, you know, you, you look at the top five players in the world right now, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, uh, John Rahm, Colin Mur Murakawa, and Bryce DeChambeau, um, which, by the way, I, I you know, DeChambeau and Max play, of course, he'll kill me in – he doesn't, he's a horrible match player. And of course that means that he'll make the Ryder cup and it'll be horrible for the Americans. And, and I hundred percent change horrible, horrible, just horrible. I just, uh, regardless, um, I look at that, all those guys could win. I, I mean, I literally, I, I just think that they're, they're all playing great golf. Um, the name I'm going to throw out there that, you know, and we'll probably do a show two weeks from now, um, on, on maybe on that weekend, but, uh, uh, Daniel Berger, is a guy that I think uh, he won earlier this year. Uh, I'm going to say it, uh, the uh, the the um, uh, Genesis uh, um, uh, at um, uh, Thousand Oak at Riviera. I, I thought he did. I could be wrong. One of the tournaments he 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 played really really well, and he's one of those guys that just kind of hangs out there. Um, and it seems like Tommy Fleetwood is starting to 
get get going a little bit here. And and I I mean he is a stingy. We used stingy earlier. He's a very stingy player, and he's the type of guy. He's always in the top ten in the majors, and it seems like he can get the ball rolling one way or another. But uh, um, Royal McIlroy is a guy that I'm not expecting. He changes the swing coach, uh, and I think that's not going to be one of the guys. John Rahm actually has told everyone, do not bet on him. This is what expected to deliver that weekend, so don't don't be doing that. Um, Brooks Kepka, I'm expecting not to play in that particular tournament based on his knee. Uh, and then outside of that, uh, maybe another name I'll throw out there, Paul Casey. Uh, he's been kind of lingering at the top of the leaderboards on some of these big tournaments the last couple of weeks, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, uh, he hangs in there as well. So. Got it. I, you know, I'm, I mean, if, if it's not Dustin Johnson, who if I was forced to bet, he was who I would bet on. You know, I like Colin Morikawa. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of the names are boomer bust guys. You know, you know, DeChambeau, I you know, I don't know his game at the Masters. I, I don't know. Um, again, if it's not Johnson, you know, be interesting to see who can who can put it together. You know, Morikawa's got does have a major under his belt, so be interesting to see. I think it's safe to say that it won't be Tiger Woods. It's in too soon. No, sorry. Well, we are salty today, so. Ooh, woof. Indeed. So, any last, um, <laughs> any last words from what was a very spirited show today? Now, good for opening day coming up uh, here pretty soon. Um, I uh, actually I didn't quite know, and I'm very curious about uh, well to get into it because it doesn't happen till late May. But the whole play-in tournament for the NBA, I guess uh, I wasn't aware of that until the last couple of days. So uh, that's a, a, a definitely a nuance that uh, I'm curious about how that will look, and um, that's that. So. Some interesting uh, little tidbits here to take away. Um, the last tax return for the NCAA that I was able to locate was from 2017. Um, but uh, their biggest expense that wasn't distributing money to colleges was uh, they, they actually spent more money in legal fees than on payroll. I thought that was interesting. Um, and, um, and on their board, um, they have a number of former board members who are still making between 500 and 700 grand a year in uh, in salary, and um, the head of the women's side makes over 500 thousand a year. So just 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 you know throwing it out there, <laughs> take it as you will. With that said, it is time for us to go. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swanson, my name's Justin Lee, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.